Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Trying to figure out who is actually in charge of Ontario's COVID response. It's enough to make you puce in the face. Oh, yeah. Puce. Look it up. Plus, we're going to talk about the Alex Manassian trial and what the defense said yesterday about his autistic way of thinking. Let's get to it. Well, hello and welcome to Friday. How are you? How are you feeling? I hope you're on your own. You should be on your own. Who's beside you? Anybody beside you? Are you are you out jogging with somebody, maybe? Breathing moistly on each other? Because don't do it. Don't do it. Make sure you're on your own. Stick to your own household. Because you know what? You are on your own when it comes to coronavirus. When it comes to the management of the pandemic in the province of Ontario, you are on your own. Whether you're a business owner, whether you're an individual, you got to figure it out on your own. That's kind of the message that came out yesterday. It's pretty loud and clear, frankly. And I was a little ticked yesterday afternoon. I don't know about you. I've gone through a range of emotions in the last 12 to 18 hours. Yesterday afternoon, we had Doug Ford say, Well, there's no light between me and Dr. Williams, the guy in charge of all the medical advice, and he's the guy that makes the uh, recommendation to me, and there's no light between us. And so, therefore, I do exactly what he says. And it is clear, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, as I'll take you through this, that there is an absolute schism at the top. There's open verbal warfare between doctors in this province right now. And you heard in our newscast about one of what of the uh, what I talk about as the Greek chorus, the Greek chorus of doctors who are not on the health table but come on television and on radio, and we go to them all the time and say, "What do you, what do you think?" Well, pretty much they all think that the new provincial framework is a disaster. And you heard Isaac Bogosh in the news say he does not envy. The Premier, we are expecting an announcement of more restrictions to come later on this afternoon. Those numbers, just shy of 1,400 on your daily case number, 19 more deaths, 40,000 tests. That's not a bad number at all, again, but the pending continues to go up, 44,500 pending. The hospitalizations number, that is a scary number, up by 21, ICUs up by 8, ventilators up by five. And the modeling information that came out yesterday said we could be at 6,500 new daily cases by mid-December unless we do something. Unless we do something now. And I mentioned the ICU number, but now over 100 at 106. We expect that to go past that 150 mark where we have to start worrying about scheduled surgeries. We expect that to happen within the next couple of weeks. Regardless, that is best case scenario. And other tracking shows that we go past 400, which is our complete capacity, and we have to throttle back, shut down all scheduled surgeries. We're on track for that. This is not a joke. It's very serious. And there was an extraordinary moment at the end of this modeling press conference, which was sobering. Earlier in the day, Doug Ford had stood there and said the 
the system that we have now is good. This, this is the thing. This is the thing we're doing. It's, it's a good. It's a good plan. And I take my advice from Dr. Williams. And then at the very end of the press conference, Dr. Adelstein Brown, who is the dean of the Dalla Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, which is not easy to say. I don't think I've said it correctly once. I have to say it all the time. We have experts on from that school at the U of T all the time, and I blow it every time. But that's neither here nor there. He's also the co-chair of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. You might say that this guy's like the number two to Dr. David Williams, who's in charge. He's definitely right up there. And when he is asked, when he is asked, um, should we maybe put in more restrictions in the hotspots? Here's what Dr. Brown had to say. Do you believe that there should be some form of greater restrictions put in place in some of the hotspots in, in the province? If the, uh, you know, as you, as you let off, if the goal is to reduce the number of cases and the goal is to reduce the impact on the health system, then yes. And then he just mic drops and walks out. Like, seriously. Yep. Yeah, it's not good enough as it is. Well, hold on. Hold on. Isn't your boss saying all's good? We're going to get to... Dr. Williams and what needs to happen with that. But I want to talk about that star story because all of this is all wrapped up together in the fact that what happened with this entire framework, which I suspect by this afternoon it's going to be changed again, folks. Just, you know, don't commit the thing to memory right now. But what happened is the province said, oh, we we got all kinds of input in everything. And sure they did. They got all kinds of input. But when the framework went into the health table, it had certain uh, markers on it in terms of case growths, case growth numbers and percentages. And I won't bore you with all the numbers, but essentially what public health and what health officials thought they were approving came back out with much, much higher thresholds. In other words, the cases have to be much, much higher to tip an area into the next uh, color code, whether it's restrict or whatever, whatever they all are. Because who can, who can possibly, you know, get it in your brain to be able to understand it? It's so complicated. So here's Doug Ford's response to all of this when asked, well, how come it is... <laughs> that actually public health doctors are going on the record here to say they don't agree with it, their advice was ignored, and in some cases they weren't even consulted at all. Here's Doug Ford. That is just totally inaccurate, and I'm a little disappointed uh, on, on that note, but that's one, one doctor's perspective that sits on the disease prevention table. At the end of the day, I stood here when we put this out with, Dr. Williams, we went along with the framework, and he approved the framework. That is Doug Ford. That is one doctor's opinion. That is absolutely not what we're talking about. It's not. It's about the fact that public health said one thing, and the framework says something completely different. And I am here all day for trying to figure out a balance between economics and health. But what we hear again and again and again, which is public health 
has to come first. There is no economics without public health. Let's get back to Dr. Brown. Can it be any more plain than this? Based on what we're seeing in the models, if we continue on with the current level of restrictions, I would not expect to see uh, any deviation from the current results. You'd continue to see growth. You would continue to see growth. If we don't change what we're doing and do it now, we are going to be worse off than areas in Europe that are already under severe lockdowns. And this seems to be entirely at odds with what we're hearing from Dr. Williams, if you can figure out what he's talking about. Because listen to this. He is asked point blank, what is it? What number? What percentage? Looking at this modeling, what is it that would cause you to say to the premier, you need to go into lockdown? Or would you ever do it? And here, oh my goodness, this just... This is going to get me mad. But here is the lead health official in the province of Ontario answering a straightforward question like that. What would be the triggers that we would go into lockdown? How would we do that? What would it consist of? Is that lockdown in some areas, lockdown in other areas? Or is it lockdown with schools closed, yes or no? So we want to ask them that type of questions. I'm sorry? I, I said... I, you just, you answered my question with a series of questions of your own that you have not answered. Oh, let's get to the wrap-up. Here's the big finish. Back to you, Doc. Can we avert a lockdown, yes or no? <clears throat> and we have to ask our table and our expertise to say if and when that should happen, what are the methods for that, what are the triggers for that, and what would it consist of? And should it be province-wide? Should it be regional? What should it consist of? These are all questions that still have to be answered. And we have to answer those fairly soon. You're on your own. Right? What's he doing? Is he asking you? He's asking you, Doc Williams. I don't know. He doesn't know. These are all questions that still have to be answered. Yeah. We got to... We'll get to it. You know, I, I'm at a loss here. You know, I was angry yesterday, and today I'm just kind of bummed because it, none of it, I mean, they're going to come out this afternoon, they're going to announce some new restrictions, this thing and that thing, and we're going to move this in, and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of it all. And I'm tired of not being able to understand the guy who's in charge. I'm tired of not being able to figure out who's advising the premier and whether or not I should blame the premier and say, but you know what, you're not doing the right job here. Look, there's a surging cases all around the world. How possibly can you blame Doug Ford for that? You can't. But who's he listening to? You can't hide behind a guy you can't understand. I said I was more bummed than mad, but apparently that's not the case. I guess I'm still kind of mad. <laughs> when we come back, I I want your take on it. Do we need a lockdown? Is that where we need to go? Because that's what the health officials are saying. And if you're worried about restaurants, you know, <laughs> you know, get into a situation like in northern Italy or Spain. You know, where they're having to do makeshift morgues, 
Because, folks, don't forget about that. That is, that is a real reality. So if we want economic health, we need public health first. We need to be able to say, we're not going down that road. And I have no faith. I don't know. Do you? I don't know who's in charge. I don't know who to listen to. I'm on my own. You're on your own. There are a number of calls out there from epidemiologists and doctors who say it is time for Dr. Williams to step down. It is time for new leadership. You may know that Dr. Williams is scheduled to retire in February. Uh, yesterday, Doug Ford, the premier, said he has absolute confidence in Dr. Williams, and there is no light between the two of them. But as we head into the weekend, are you a little confused about what you can do, what you shouldn't do? Well, I think a lot of us are. Well, John Tory is here to help. Stay home this weekend and watch the Masters or Netflix or football. Uh, read a book. Play a game. Stay in bed if the spirit moves you. Uh, you never know what's going to come up. Order takeout food. Cook a meal. Uh, make a Zoom call. FaceTime a friend or a relative. But there's just many, many things to do that can cause you to be in touch and to have a good time, but to please stay home. Go for a walk or for a run. Take your dog for a walk, but do it only with people you live with and keep your distance from other people. That is John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, with a suggestion of some of the things that you can and cannot do this weekend. Please, John Tory, never, ever make a joke like that again. Never talk about the bedroom. You know, because I, that, you want to you wanna ice a moment. You want an ice a moment, you just say, hey, baby. The chief magistrate of Toronto says we should head upstairs, maybe get in the bed, see what comes up. How about you check my municipal zoning? Okay, that's enough of that. Let's talk about uh, what is coming down the pipe later on this afternoon. Doug Ford with the uh, potential announcement of more restrictions. Uh, Meanwhile, there is this push and pull between business, economics, and also public health. And on the public health side, many doctors are saying, listen, the premier's not listening to who he should be listening to, namely the doctors. And on the economic side, the business owners are saying, listen, we got to have a voice at the table, too. Ryan Malo is the Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and joins me on the line. Hi, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Do you think that the Premier is weighing the um, interests of business too much, not enough? Well, I, I think it's something that, that has to be there. And I, I note yesterday he talked about the, the mental health of, of business owners, and I was glad he brought it up because it's something that we're hearing a lot too. Um, the situation is getting pretty dire. But I want to underscore that a lot of the concern is coming from not knowing how they're going to pay their next bills. Uh, and there is an opportunity for the province to step in and help them with that. So I, mean, I think we're expecting some uh, additional restrictions this afternoon. Um, but what we're really looking for on the business side is, you know, if, if we need to shut down for the good of society, uh, where is the help for the business owner to ensure they're still there to open up when the time comes? That's a different message than we've heard from some business owners who had previously been saying, well, listen, the evidence doesn't show that there's any transmission in restaurants, f- for example, or that the transmission is very low. Then, you know, and why are you punishing this sector of the economy when there's no evidence that there's transmission? What you're saying is different. Yeah, and we've, we've heard that come up from businesses, too, and certainly we uh, don't want to see uh, entire sectors painted with the same broad brush, whether that's 
you know, government treating a yoga studio and a boxing gym the same uh, or the government treating a couple of bad actors as, as a way to, to address the rest of the industry. Um, but at the same time, ultimately, the, the decisions have to come from public health officials. And if they're saying that this has to be done to keep people safe, if they're presenting the data to, to back that up, we understand. We understand where they're coming from. Again, no business owner wants to contribute to the spread or the prolongation of the pandemic. But at the same time, they can't afford just to shut down. They can't afford government to come in and say, you can't operate, and then not step in and help uh, cover the bills that are continuing to come in. Um, so it's, it's, that has always been the key for us, is if we get to the point where greater restrictions or, or you know, shutdowns are required, the government has to be there immediately to step in with support. And where do you look to for that support? Is that a provincial or a federal mandate? There is much criticism of the provincial government that is getting money from the feds and it's not expediting it out the door. Yeah, I think I think it has to come at all levels. And honestly, I think at this point, if you ask a business owner, uh, they, they don't care where it's coming from. It just has to come and it has to come now. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, the federal programs that have been announced on, on rent relief uh, is good but it's not here yet. Uh, the wage subsidy is not as generous as it was uh, a, a couple of months ago. The expanded loan program, again, is good, but it's not here yet. Even the province's own $300 million program was announced on October 9th. It's been 35 days since Toronto, Ottawa, and Peel were put under modified stage two, and that funding is not available yet. Um, so I think at the end of the day, speed is the name of the game, and you know, governments are saying all the right things, but when it comes to actually getting that money and getting it out the door, that's been the missing element throughout the pandemic. Are you frustrated with what you hear from the Premier? Because we hear a lot of talk about, you know, no, you know, dime will be, you know, left unspent and all the resources of the government will be brought to bear. I mean, does it ring hollow? We, we have heard that sentiment from business owners. You know, again, the Premier is saying, saying all the right things. The messaging is good. Um, and I'll note, too, that it seems to have all party support. Andrea Horvath yesterday, when they were talking about uh, circuit breaker uh, closures, I think half a dozen times talked about the need to support small businesses through the closure. Mike Schreiner has talked about the need to support. Stephen Del Duca has talked about the need to support. It seems like all parties agree on supporting small businesses. But when it comes to actually getting the money out and getting it flowing, again, that's, that's where this seems to be lacking. And for a lot of small business owners were, were very quickly reaching the point where we're starting to hear, you know, talk is getting cheap. Where is the funding? Where is the help? Because business owners are on day to day at this point. And if that help is not coming quickly, we're talking about permanent closures uh, and the business is not coming back. And especially when we're talking about what time of year here is, you know, obviously, the, for a lot of smaller businesses, uh, this next month would be make or break, even in a pre-pandemic time in terms of being able to just turn a profit at this time of the year. And and if you look at the modeling, it looks like it is not going to be a Christmas like we're used to at all. Yeah, when those announcements were made yesterday, I don't know if it was my, my jaw or my heart that dropped faster, but... I mean, it's it's tremendously 2020, isn't it? Where we know we knew we knew a second wave was going to come in the fall, whether or not we knew how bad it was going to be. But for for all of this to come down now, for this 2:30 uh, p.m. press conference and the potential for restrictions to come down now, right on the cusp of the most important season of the year for retailers, a huge time of year for restaurants, um, is it's just devastating. And and again, we we can't underscore enough that. 
the holiday season is always make or break for businesses. And it sounds tremendously cliche, but that is never going to be more true than it is this year. They need you locally uh, as a consumer. If you, you have holiday dollars to spend, please put local first, because uh, if you don't and they have a weak November, December, those January, February, March months that are usually slim um, are going to be lethal. Ryan, really appreciate you coming on and your perspective today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That is Ryan Malo, who is the Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Do you trust Doug Ford? Do you tr- trust Doug Ford to handle the pandemic, especially in the light of what we found out this week and that exclusive from the Toronto Star that appears that the health tables or rather public health advice, was ignored. And that has called into question, who is Doug Ford listening to? Is Doug Ford being straight with the public? The Prime Minister was asked about the article and whether or not he trusts Doug Ford. Some of my other colleagues in Toronto reported this week also that Ontario Premier Doug Ford rejected the advice of his own public health experts when when making the province's COVID-19 restriction um, level. Uh, with cases surging in the province and projected to hit, uh, as you said, 600 or 6,500 before Christmas, um, given this report, do you still trust the Ontario government to make these life and death decisions based on scientific advice? And did you raise this with Premier Ford in your call yesterday? We had a good conversation with the premiers last night at which uh, each premier, one after the other, talked about uh, the additional measures they're going to be bringing in in their regions. Uh, we're seeing uh, a really troubling surge across the country. The fact that uh, Dr. Tam is highlighting that modeling predicts uh, 10,000 cases uh, a day. Uh, across the country uh, by uh, early December, if we do not bend the curve, uh, should be a wake-up call for everyone. I know we're getting tired of this. We want COVID to be done, uh, but it's not done with us yet. So we have to keep doing what we need uh, to keep Canadians safe uh, until the vaccines start to arrive. That is Justin Trudeau with a bit of a non-answer there about whether or not Ontario is doing the right thing. And keep in mind, 2.30 this afternoon, Doug Ford will have an announcement along with Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, and Dr. David Williams, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Health in the province of Ontario. And we will keep you up to date throughout the course of the afternoon here on Global News Radio. And of course, join me tonight on Global News Television at 5.30 with my co-anchor, Farah Nasser, and we will be discussing what it is announced or what is announced today from the province. But I want to turn to the Alex Manassian trial. Of course, Mr. Manassian, responsible for the van attack that killed 10 people in Toronto. The fact that he was behind the wheel, that he committed the act, is not in question. He has pleaded not guilty, and his defense has said that they will argue it on the grounds of not criminally responsible. And in portion of the trial yesterday, the trial is on break today, not uh, in session today, but in part of the trial yesterday, we got a bit of a glimpse into what the defense will say. Uh, The defense played um, a video from a forensic psychiatrist that the psychiatrist said that Manassian was not in a psychotic state, but, quote, his autistic way of thinking was severely distorted in a way similar to psychosis. And that raised a number of eyebrows all around the province. 
and across the country. I spoke with Laura Kirby McIntosh, who is a parent advocate with the Ontario Autism Coalition, about her reaction to it. Laura, what was your reaction when you heard the defense say that about autistic way of thinking? Uh, well, I'm as a parent of, uh, of two people on the spectrum, I'm familiar with uh, the autistic way of thinking. Um, but I am concerned that there's some sort of suggestion here that an autistic way of thinking um, somehow means that somebody has a propensity for, for this kind of extreme violence. To me, autistic thinking simply means, um, you know, seeing the world in a bit of a different way and taking things kind of literally and, um, and factually. But um, yeah, I was, I was disappointed to hear it because I, I guess in a way I knew that this call would come, that, you know, somebody out there, a journalist would call and, and say, okay, let's talk to people in the autism community about this case. And I'm just really concerned that the public is, is going to draw a connection when I, I really don't think it's there to be had. Why, why are you disappointed? Are you disappointed with the defense are you disappointed that we need to even have this conversation? Yes. Yeah. I listen. Um, people with autism experience enough discrimination, and you know any of your your listeners that have followed the news in the in the last couple of years about the cuts to autism services in this province know very well that there's not enough support out there for autistic people. But what I don't want to see happen is the perpetuation of a stereotype that autistic people are like this. They are not. In fact, autistic people are much more likely to be the victims of violence and bullying than they are to be the perpetrators. I know literally hundreds of people on the spectrum um, and none of them have decided to rent a van and use it to kill people. Um, it's interesting. I, I'm a, in my other life, outside of being an advocate, I'm a high school law teacher. And I was literally teaching uh, my grade 11 students this week about criminal defenses. And, you know, the defense of, uh, of mental disorder requires two really important things. It requires that, that you establish that either the mental disorder left the accused incapable of appreciating the nature and the quality of the act, well, that's not the case here. He, he knew the nature of the act. Um, and, or the second part is that the mental disorder left him incapable of knowing that the act or omission was wrong. Well, I, I, I don't see that here. I, I see even just in, in watching a little bit of, of his interview that he knew full well that, that what he was doing was wrong. I mean, listen, I, I'm not following the, the case day to day. It's, it's too much for me emotionally. Right now, in a in a COVID context, it's the last thing I want to take on. Um, but you know, I I think the focus needs to be much more on how he got pulled into incel incel culture. And maybe there's an argument to be made there that because he was excluded from society, because you know he he didn't have access to the types of supports, it, he was more vulnerable to being pulled into that really toxic, misogynist online culture. Um, but to say that he did this because he's autistic is, is really problematic for me. Um, and I think it does a lot of damage to people in our community. 
it, it's one of the things that, that I have wondered about in this case too, and it's, it is not part of the trial, so it is not part of the discussion, is where was, where was this information and how was it that Mr. Manassian accessed it and, you know, got into 4chan and all the intel mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But that's not going to be part of the conversation. Now, you mentioned that, you know, with everything else going on, that this is just not something that you, you can take on. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask a, a little bit about that and, and what sure. about it in the trial um, it, it is emotionally impactful for you? Oh, <laughs> you want to go right for the nerve. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I guess what's, what's difficult is that right now, as president of the Ontario Autism Coalition, I'm in contact with a lot of families that are in crisis um, because they can't access the type of supports that they need and because their, their children are, are really struggling. Um, and, you know, we held a press conference a couple of weeks ago um, to try to get attention to, on, the, on the fact that, you know, there's not enough support. And I really want to talk about the fact in particular, there's not enough support for adults on the spectrum who are increasingly isolated. You know, and I think of my own son on this, you know, he's, he's got his own apartment, he's got support from community living, um, but all of the places that he normally goes to for socialization are closed. And that, you know, I, I wish that we were talking more about that isolation and the way that we need to support autistic adults and integrate them into our community. Um, that's, you know, I, I wish that the conversation were on that in, instead of, of this. Um, but here we are. And I mean, and it's, it's painful. I, I, I mean, the, the destruction and the the terror that this guy caused is, is just, it, it, it's unthinkable. And yet, and yet it happened. And, and we have to address that it, it happened. I, I have enormous respect for the judge in this case. Um, and I'm just going to have to put my faith in the, in the legal system that, you know, the justice will be served. We'll leave it there. Laura okay. Kirby McIntosh, I very much appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you. Laura Kirby McIntosh is a parent advocate with the Ontario Autism Coalition. and very much appreciate her sharing her story and her thoughts on the Manassian trial and its impact and its potential impact on people with autism and families who already are dealing with so much. And I think she made some great points there. Coming up at 2.30 this afternoon, of course, Doug Ford. We're expecting some kind of update on restrictions as we head into the weekend. John Torrey told us yesterday all the things that we can and cannot do. Big list of things you can't do. Like, for example, you're not supposed to go jogging with somebody else unless you already live with them. So don't do that. I, for me... That's just another reason for me not to ever exercise. So I'll take that. That's a silver lining. John Torrey also suggested you might want to spend some time in bed and, quote, see what comes up. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays beginning at noon.